You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast. Before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Uh, a little bit of everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're actually doing a fairly major refactoring of uh, some code at work. It finally got to the point where we had to deal with it. Um, and that's that's been challenging because there's some old um, kind of ossified code that I'm having to go in and clean up. And some of this stuff, it kind of looks like somebody maybe didn't understand how HTTP worked as a web developer. Um, makes perfect sense. Not really. Um, but sarcasm. go with it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, cleaning up some of that that kind of stuff, trying to do a baseless merge on two um, parts of two code bases that diverged uh, almost two years ago. It's that big. Yeah. Well, it's just parts. OK. Um, but it's it's bad enough. And some of the merge also includes some store procedures and things like that. So yeah, it was um, it's it's challenging enough to keep me engaged. So it's it's working out pretty well. And then uh, the other thing is, is, I have been watching some unbelievable idiocy on Facebook again. And uh, really, what, yeah. what this time? Uh, the encryption debate about you know how you know FBI said, oh, we need to have the ability to crack any iPhone, and Apple said, uh, go pee in a transformer. Yeah, um, you know where Apple's one hundred percent right and the Feds are one hundred percent wrong. I've been I've been watching people and. It's it's interesting because people they don't think about what they do with their smartphones and they also don't think about they don't know about the implications of the security. So they think that okay, it's just breaking into this one house. It's like, oh, we're gonna search this house because you know, search and seizure, you know, that makes sense, yada yada. It's like, okay, well, we know right now somebody is making crack in a house in America. So let's kick down the doors of every house on the planet. To catch that guy. That's effectively what they're asking for. And what's odd to me is it's the same people that most most of the same people that are doing that are the same people that um, really, really focus heavily on other constitutional rights. You know, get really wound up about that. But then, you know, hey, being a, you know being secure in your person and your papers against unreasonable search and seizure, they're completely, you know, they're, they're just they just don't understand it. So yeah, I've been uh, been watching all that, and um, in the meantime, I've just about gotten my blog ported over to Hexo. You saw nice. that. The theme isn't great, but I haven't touched that yet. It's looking good, though. Otherwise, yeah, everything else has been fairly fast. You know, switching stuff over to Markdown. There's been a few weird little things. Like I don't like the way that you do images that are hyperlinks to another image in Markdown. That syntax just I don't. I'm not real happy with it. But anyway, it's it's been a pretty good couple weeks that's, um, cool, that's cool so how about you i heard i know you're doing the uh the job search thing yeah i want to start off with uh with a shout out to the recruiter that i met with today uh hi hillary she's going to be listening to the podcast so had a good meeting with her we we talked about uh three different uh job opportunities that she has uh, what's really funny is um after i left their office i uh I was on my way over to Starbucks and got a phone call from another random recruiter that I hadn't worked with before, offering me one of the same jobs that uh, Hillary had put me in for. So I just 
politely told her, hey, I'm, you know, thanks for the offer, but I've already put in for that job through, you know, another recruiter. Yeah, that's that's why I only typically work with one at a time is because I, I have a hard time tracking multiple things like that. Plus, a lot of them won't tell you, you know, what they've applied you for. And so somebody sees your resume come across their desk like five times. It makes you look desperate. And I, I want to control that. So that's, oh, that makes it's sense. good that you, you know, you kind of you stopped that ahead of that happening. Well, yeah, I didn't I didn't want that. And well, plus, the other thing they do is if like if two recruiters submitted you and you come in for an interview, it may be easier for them to just go, well, we're not going to take this guy, even though he's good, because the recruiters can both dispute it. And it's a yeah. mess. Honestly, the the recruiters I have been working with on my job search, none of them will submit my resume or anything until I approve it. And that's why I'm working with the ones I'm working with, because they all check with me first. Uh, I've got that, and uh, I've been fighting WordPress lately. Yeah, well, you know, that's why I'm switching to Hexo, because uh, yeah. I got tired of getting beat on. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting frustrated with it. It's not exactly WordPress that's the problem. It's the plugins. Well, it's, it is WordPress that's the problem. The, the symptom is in Azure. I got uh, a lot of attack attempts, and that raised me past my limit. Pay as you go, and I got a very hefty bill. Yeah, uh, that's that's one thing I've noticed is that if you're not, you know, you can't really keep people from realizing that it's a WordPress site, um, which is a which is a problem mm-hmm. because. There's automated systems that go out there and scan, and they find them, and they attempt attacks, and that is why I'm trying to get away from it myself. I have a I have a client. I think he had I want to say it was like 130 thousand login attempts within an hour. Good grief! Yeah, and that hit my hosting plan. And you know, thankfully the the company that you know, does my hosting, which is you know, shout out to uh, Fluid Hosting here, um, they were okay with it. Like they tracked it down, and what the guy actually did is he um, got in the um, the Apache configuration file, whose name escapes me at the moment for some reason, got in there and basically said, hey, the login page doesn't exist anymore. You know, and just said, okay, you, your, your client's not going to be able to log in for the duration of the attack, which is completely fine. Yeah. Because, you know, the bots eventually go somewhere else, like all other parasites. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been been frustrating dealing with that, and that's why I'm kind of wanting to get away from, from WordPress. Um the thing is, WordPress does have its good sides. I mean, it's really good for people who may not be... As tech-savvy. Yeah, as tech-savvy to, to be able to have a blog. Well, and it's good for, like, standing up a blog and, and going, okay, do I want to blog? It's nice. I just get... I use Visual Studio Code, and I can edit the markdown, and I can see side-by-side. I can do everything I got to do. I can script <laughs> off the deployment. So, like, I, if I have, you know, the website in a particular state, I could have it push itself up there. At you know one o'clock in the morning, and I can put a, a scheduled task on my server to pull it down. You know, forget yeah. and do you know, do all that. Speaking of Visual Studio Code, I recently had an issue with it. Everybody that's listened to the podcast for a while knows I it's my favorite editor. I it's, really it's increasingly getting to be mine as well. Yeah. And I had a, a recent issue with the uh, spell checker extension. It, it's not <laughs> like it a comes. terrible issue. <laughs> well, I. I I told you about it when it was going on. <laughs> but it uses... It uses an idiot's dictionary. Let's just yeah. be frank. I mean, what did it say? The word maintain is too complex. You yeah. should say keep up with or something like that. It's, and, I mean, that was the one example 
that was the big one that just annoyed me was I would use a term or a phrase and it would say that it was too complex of an expression. Yeah, which, you know, my thing about that is is I don't write for idiots. I mean, I'm, I was writing one post for um, our blog and then one for my own. And uh, after, I think it was two weeks ago, I had a couple of typos. And so you asked me to start spell checking a little bit better. So I installed that and <laughs> this is the result. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... I don't know. I mean, that's that stuff is so hard to get right. I I kind of feel for them, but at the same time, it's like, okay, did you have to get it wrong that way? Um, that and uh, trying to improve the quality of what I put out. I have been listening to the podcast dude. He's been podcasting for um, well, that particular show has been going on for a few months longer than ours. I think they're into the thirties on their episodes, and uh, this is our twenty fifth episode. So basically, our 26th episode, our next episode, will be the six-month anniversary. No, the one after that, because we did two, the first. Yes. So, wow. Um, We need to get some single malt up in here. That works for me. All right. Well, I guess it's time to uh, roll the music. Let's roll that music and uh, get into some IOTs. This week for IOTs, I have something kind of fun, especially for those of us that... uh, grew up in the 80s and 90s as sci-fi geeks. This is the called the Single Cue. It is a uh, gesture control for the smart home or connected home. Um, it allows you to control your smart home with gestures. It can have multiple ways of interacting, including voice, presence, and uh, uh, the gesture. And honestly, it kind of looks like a connect. Huh. Um, which, I mean, it's got, I got some of the same stuff as Connect there, but uh, it, it seems to be like a Connect that's specifically designed for working with a smart home. Yeah, because there's different protocols involved and all that kind of stuff too, so mm-hmm. I guess it has to... And just like uh, like the air quality one, this one's uh, kind of expensive. It's around $200. That's interesting. So we'll have a link in the show notes for that. Yeah, we will. And there's a video you can watch... Uh, on how to use it and stuff. It's it's a neat idea. Um, a lot of these things that, that I've been doing recently have been more product than uh, the technology, and it's they're just kind of ideas for what can be done. In this episode, we'll discuss lesser-known uses for feature flags. Uh, but first, I think probably ought to explain what a feature flag actually is. Uh, I have a quote from, uh, was it Ross Harmes? Harmes? Flags allow us to restrict features to certain environments while still using the same code base on all servers. They're used by a lot of different companies. Like uh, I found a list of just some of the big names like Flickr, Discus, Etsy, Reddit, Gmail, and Netflix. Yeah, and they're also used a lot by um, smaller vendors. In fact, um, this morning I was listening to uh, Startups for the Rest of Us, which is you know, one of my favorite podcasts, and uh, this was episode 274, so if you go look at uh, startupsfortherestofus.com, and he's talking about how to mentally and technically prepare for a launch. So, like, it, uh, in this case, they own the, uh, the guy that runs it owns a email program called Drip. It's kind of like MailChimp, but it's, it, it's hardcore. You know, MailChimp is... Uh, is is for more simple cases, and this you know, drip is more for 
you know, it, it'll do what MailChimp will do, but it does all the uh, marketing automation and just really crazy stuff. Um, you know, it's it's for yeah, it's uh, it's much more built out. But anyway, they released a new feature, and it was a workflow feature. And basically, what they had done with their feature flags is they had this feature built in, um, but turned off except for certain clients who were able to uh, preview it. And basically what this did is this allowed them to slowly you know, roll out to a test group. It allowed them to have that code uh, live on the server so they could look for any uh, performance issues as a result of changes made by that code before it was actually released to everybody and their mother. And they were able to test, like I said, with a small uh, subset of beta users and you know get feedback and and all that stuff without affecting their main site and without messing things up because those users were the sort that they're like okay well i like this feature and i want to use it and you know so if i spend the time to beta test it i I want that to roll into live and so that that gets them out of the whole thing of having to try to pull stuff from qa and shove it over to live and and so it actually worked out pretty well for them and made it a lot less painful for the release yeah that's and actually that gets right into uh the the next thing on describing feature flags which are the the different types of them there's basically two types there's the release toggles um for exactly what you were saying and then there's also business toggles to kind of restrict user access uh in more of a long-term scenario yeah and i mean they kind of used both of these because uh you know, the, the features, there were some things I think that probably were not turned on fully, you know, and that was more of their, you know, their continuous deployment type setup. I don't know if they actually have a continuous. They probably have, you know, regular, a regular cadence of releases because continual deployment is not really a, you know, it's not as big of a thing as a lot of the tech press makes you, you know, makes you want to believe it is because it's hard. But they did have, you know, flags turned on and off per client. And we used to do this at a place I used to work as well. And, yeah, that that's how we would roll out brand new features and we could kind of test them and make sure, um, you know, make sure everything worked and and get the feedback. It's just it's a nice way to scale so you don't have to worry about a new feature, you know, just destroying your infrastructure at the same time as everybody's asking all these questions about the new stuff and trying to find things on the site. Like, you, you know, that that makes a perfect storm for support. And so that's why people really like these. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, one one more quote, and we'll get into the, the meat of the episode, so to speak. Uh, this one's from Martin Fowler uh, from his blog post on feature flags. And it states, the basic idea is to have a configuration file that defines a bunch of toggles for various features you have pending. The running application then uses these toggles in order to decide whether or not to show the new feature. Yeah, and I, I would add to this because it's not always a configuration file. Um, you know, we used we used a database, and we had you know client specific settings for turning stuff on and off. And there's, you know, we'll get into it in a minute. But there's a difference between the release toggles and the business toggles because the business toggles tend to stay in there because it's based off of like what plan on the software somebody has or what features they have turned on or off whereas the release toggles are you know are supposed to be temporary because you got to bear in mind for each of these you're you're basically putting an if statement in saying okay if this is tripped then you know go down this branch and 
you know, if it's if it's not something that you want to keep around, you really don't want to keep it around because, you know, you have a um, combinatorial explosion in possible uh, configurations. And yeah, and then your QA people hate you, and then they get even. <laughs> so uh, all right, so number one for uh, lesser known uses is feature flags are they can be more than just boolean statements. Their state can be set statically or dynamically. Uh, you can even use rule-based toggles. Uh, you mentioned with if statements, you know, more than just true or false, but uh, you can use uh, XML, YAML, or JSON uh, to define those. Yeah. I mean, we we didn't really do that very much because most of our stuff was, you know, on or off. But I can definitely see that, you know, in larger systems or systems, especially stuff that's got uh, a lot of workflow type steps in there. Like, you know, you may be adding a step and it needs configuration as well as the toggle flag. Yeah. You know, and so you've got a you've got a bit and then a, a payload going in there. But I've, I've never had to do that, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, the other case is, is um, enabling or disabling features for specific users. And, you know, this can be anything from, you know, like opt in type setups to, you know, blocking and unblocking users. I mean, some of this gets into user uh, profile stuff a little bit more than, you know, an actual feature toggle, although it, you know, it, it, we, we call it different things, but it kind of works out to be the same well, thing. One of the, a really cool example that I have for, for opt in is uh, with my Xbox uh, Live Gold account. Um, I'm also an Xbox ambassador and was given the option to uh, to opt in for previews of uh, new features that they're going to add. And uh, each time a new feature comes out, I have the option of putting that on, or basically it's already in the update, but activating it. It's, it's really neat because you can, you can turn that off and basically roll it back to what it, what your system was before but it's neat because i get to to do things that most xbox users don't just because you know i've signed up for that and i have the option if i w- if i don't want to or if i if i'm not on my xbox for a while and i don't get on there and click yes it doesn't opt me in automatically which i like that yeah that helps a lot i mean it, it it's almost uh you know, this is one of those things that comes with the whole, uh, you know, kind of users and roles set up as well. So you, you know, for instance, if you've got a paywall in your app, like if you have a free version of the app and then you have a, you know, paid version, so you're doing the freemium model, you might turn, you know, toggles on or off based on whether the user is paid or not or what plan they're in. And so this is where the non-Boolean things get in, um, because like if you have you know a maximum number of you know whatever they you know the user can do like I don't know like Mailchimp, you know, there's a certain number of emails you can send for free and a certain list size you can have for free, and then when you get above that you know that that's a feature toggle that they essentially have set up there to say you know okay well when you're paying we're we're more than happy to let you send even more emails but. You know, until you are, you you got a limit. Well, that's the same with our um, with the CDN that we use for our podcast. It's we get so much space for what we pay, and if we need to increase because we have five weeks in a month or something, and we go over that, we're able to 
to increase that. Um, and it, it's pretty much a feature flag because, you know, when you, know, you go on there and you uh, approve them charging more for that month, then, yeah, yeah. It just it automatically allows us to have that. And and not having it allows us to have the uh, the nag warning emails as well. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, feature flags also work in reverse. It's kind of like tracer fi- tracer bullets. Uh, you know, I I actually so. read that in uh, in doing the research for this uh, a comparison of feature flags to tracer bullets. Yeah. Well, and they can be a problem, and we're going to get into that here in a little bit. They can also uh, kind of uh, demarcate between uh, new users and expert users. So until somebody, it's it's kind of like unlocking achievements. I mean, those are feature toggles in your games. You're playing a video game. I mean, that's that's the same thing. It's you know stuck on your user profile and it's it's built into the game and it's not going away. But it, you know that's a feature. I was toggle. also thinking about um, some of the forums that I've been on. Uh, they they don't allow like uh, comments or something until you've had so many posts and stuff like that. Like you have to be a certain level user to, to do certain things. That's what I was thinking about too when I was, that's one way to implement it. Um, The next lesser known use is uh, something we've kind of already hit on a little bit. It's a trial of new features. I know I talked about that uh, with my Xbox, but um, yeah, you could also, run uh, a b tests well and the a b test thing is is very uh, very important and useful anyway because it's not just you know you, you want to be able to split test certain things and you want something that's persistent so like you don't want it to be okay you load the page and now you're in group a and then then you know you refresh and now you're in group b or you navigate to another one because then that screws up all the stats and so having that in a single repository actually really makes a lot of sense yeah that make that does make perfect sense you know that can kind of be used as a you know non-boolean uh you know test because a lot of times what you're doing is you're you know you have the way whatever feature is and then you've got two you know, two options that you're trying to get to or 10 options. And, you know, they've got to pick, you know, one out of a list, you know, that they want to put you into for testing purposes. Um, Another thing I've also seen is they'll look at uh, feature utilization. And so like, if you use a feature, they'll, they'll set a bit. And if you haven't used the feature, the bit doesn't get set, and so they have something in the background that looks and says, okay, this dude hasn't done X with this app, so let's send him instructions on how to do it so that you can drive user engagement into new features. Yeah, that's something I hadn't thought about, but I was thinking more from the testing end of looking at how many people are using a certain feature, and if they're not, then you know, maybe if there's not a lot, then focusing on a different area, but... I like that. That's a that's a neat idea. Yeah, I mean, well, the idea is is to keep is to keep from having churn and turnover. Um, you know, like you know, you might have a flag set for okay, they're you know they're a user that's you know less than thirty days old. So you could have you know you could have a batch job at night turning the flag on or you know on or off depending on different criteria, and they haven't used you know I don't know the new workflow feature. You know, to use start for the rest of us. Um, use their example, or use Drip's example rather, and 
because they haven't used that new feature and their account is less than 30 days old, you don't want them to you know, basically bail on the service. So what you do is you set it up and just go, okay, well, if they haven't used it, then I'm going to send them an email and follow up with it. You know, that's basically a feature that you're turning on. You're saying, okay, I'm, I'm basically bringing the knowledge base into the app. It's now part of the app and I'm, you know, pitching stuff at them to get them to participate so that they don't leave the app. Because the purpose of the app for the user is to save the user money or get something done. The purpose of the app for the developer or for whoever owns it is to make money. Yeah, that's that's why I don't allow push notifications on almost every app I have on my phone. Because <laughs> they're really annoying. Yeah, well, that and the, you know that and the battery. But I mean, that's that's the idea. That's you know that's why they they do that sort of thing. And of course the other thing is early access too, right? Because you do not like, especially if you have an app with, you know, 10,000 or a hundred thousand or, you know, several million users, um, you don't want to roll something out live to everybody and their mother. Uh, at one of the companies I worked for, we did content systems for news stations and, you know, we might roll something out to one news station out of 300 or something. I forget how many we had. We had some, you know, just ridiculous, you know, ridiculously high number. And, you know, some of the features were only used when there was inclement weather. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously you don't want to turn that on for everybody because like, let's say that, you know, it's a feature that's affected, you know, that gets used when there's snow and we have snow hit the Southeast or tornadoes hit the Southeast or something, you know, where everybody gets their camera out and takes pictures. You know, you don't want that feature turned on for, you know, 50 million people when you're not sure what it's going to do to the server mm-hmm. yet. That makes that makes good sense. You you kind of pick a few areas to uh, to test it out in to see how it affects the server. Yeah, and that's that's actually what they did with the first project I did for them because um, I did a Google Maps integration and we just turned it on um, for one of the local news stations. I forget which one. And it was supposed to be, you know, report you know, if there's basically storm damage and, you know, flooding and, you know, trees down, that kind of stuff, and they could put it on a map. You know, not that big a deal. And we said, hey, we'll test this in Nashville because nothing ever happens in Nashville. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that was Thursday. Saturday was the Great Nashville Flood. Yeah. You know, back then I was working in the emergency room as a psych tech EMT, and uh, I had to work that weekend. I remember the big ice storm. Right before that, I had to work that weekend, too. It's like every time a big thing happened that whole year, I was working. Yeah, and and so that's that's why you do kind of a slow rollout, because if something big is happening, you don't want to be part of it. I don't remember if if you told me about that or if I I heard about it from somebody else, but I know several people that used that. Yeah, well, and the thing is, is... um, that thing was it actually worked and so i got the call that hey you know it 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 held up to this and you go and look and as you could zoom in as close as you could on the google map and you couldn't see anything all you could see was pins wow yeah it was it was crazy and i was i was actually you know i mean i guess it's okay to admit this at this point but i was a little bit shocked that it actually held up because i would have thought Something would have blown up by that point, but it didn't. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, but we didn't know that, and you know, it was it's one thing for you know Nashville, but you know sometimes they would have stuff where, I mean, they would they would have crazy stuff happen. Like we had that uh, that outbreak of tornadoes that went across the south. 
um, what was that, 20, I think it was 2012. And yeah, because, yeah, I was in school in Mississippi. Yeah, and it hit everything. And we, I think that was the day that we had a quarter of a record month's traffic in one day. I can believe it. Yeah. And, and so that's that's bad enough with something that you know is stable and you're comfortable with. Because all kinds of weird things happen at scale anyway. But if you can imagine what that feels like rolling out and, you know, having rolled out a new feature to everybody and that happens. Oh, that would be scary. That's not a, and it was still, it was still pretty rough. Like we found all kinds of things in the system that were not, you know, not where we wanted to be at that scale. They worked perfectly everywhere else. But when it scaled up like that, it was just, it's a completely different world. Getting, getting back on point, um, the next thing we have is feature flags can be used for for internal review of features. Yeah, and what this means is actually testing in production by members of your QA team because most places, like if they have um, multiple clients in the same you know the same uh, software as a service setup, you know, and they don't they don't shard their database per client, they'll actually have a fake client in there that they use for testing or several of them. Um, and so what they'll do is, is that when they roll that new feature out, they actually go and test it in production with the production systems and make sure things work end to end before they start turning it on for the beta users because it gives a bad impression. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I know, uh, I found GitHub, uh, has a staff mode. Of course, GitHub's kind of neat. The, when you work there, you have to make a, uh, make a commit your first day. Which I think that's kind of cool and kind of scary, too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can commit just about anything, you know, as long as nobody does the, nobody actually takes the pull that's request. That's true, that's true. Uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I'd be a little jittery about that, you know, that idea, but, you know, whatever they want to do. Yeah, and then um, you can also use them for uh, scalable rollouts. And we've kind of... Yeah, which is what we were discussing before, you know, with the whole phase thing. And... Yeah, that's that's a real that's a real lifesaver. And, you know, going back to the whole scalability thing, scaling is weird. Like for instance, an ant can lift fifty times its body weight, you know, at its size. But if an ant was our size, its own body weight would break its own legs. And so things just get really distorted at scale. You know, one little one system is very, you know, slightly slower and there's a backup in a queue and all of a sudden something that used to be instant takes 24 hours and you don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. I can, I can see that, especially it's, it's like that with a lot of different things, but you can use feature flags to, uh, to phase the rollouts and kind of help prevent scalability issues or at least catch them early. Yeah, catch them before they do any damage is the main thing. So you can kind of watch and see how it's you know affecting load on the system and and those sorts of things. And, you know, sometimes stuff you can also use feature flags uh, for this kind of thing to restrict time windows that people can do things. So you may not do it by user, you may do it by what time of day it is. And you know, sometimes that that can actually help. Well, I think uh, in uh, one of your previous tricks of the trade, you mentioned something. Uh, was it F dot Lux that uh, dims your uh, dims your screen based on yeah, time of day? I, mean, I don't know if that's a that's using feature flags or not, but yeah, but like you could actually have a feature that says, okay, I'm only going to let the users, you know, like let emails go out at certain times a day if you're in a certain plan, or, or like um, 
WordPress, I've got a lot of experience there for some unknown reason. Maybe because our site's hosted on WordPress or whatever. Uh, but uh, with WordPress, they have a feature where you can turn off the admin. Yeah, during certain times of day. And, you know, that, that can come in really handy. So uh, another thing that uh, feature flags will do for you is they can enable maintenance. So you could turn certain features off if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to work on that part of the system. Uh, we had this, you know, at a, at a former employer, but we had actually separate services. So we had the whole uh, service-oriented architecture, but you could do this without that. It was just, you know, that's what we already had, so we didn't build this for the most part. Uh, but you could have it where you have a kill switch that says, "Hey, you know, I don't want to send out any emails right now," and I could just, I could set, uh, I could set the kill switch, and it would stop sending emails, and they would just queue up. That helped a lot. Like if our uh, email service provider was down, like we had some issues with SendGrid at one point and being able to turn that off was really helpful because the thing is is like when it would um it would send emails if it failed a certain number of times the email would go into a dead letter queue and then it was you know it was a pain to get out and so it was easier just to just shut off the spigot essentially and say okay well no emails go out until we know they're back up and then, of course, we carpet bomb them with all the emails that have queued up during that time, and they may go down again. <laughs> but that's their problem. Yeah. But. Um, and uh, finally on the list, we have uh, Sunset Old Features, which, we, again, we've kind of – all of these kind of interrelate, and so we've talked about this a little bit in some of the other ones. Yeah, and one of the ways you do that with sunsetting the old features is uh, when a new account gets created, the flag is set to off for those old features and you gradually start trying to move your clients away from things and go, okay, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to help you convert, you know, depending on how high dollar your software is, that, that can be a good way to get rid of features. And you know, people don't really think about this a lot, but a feature is a liability. If it's, if, you know, 0.1% of your users actually use it and that feature is sitting out there, what ends up happening is, is that that, feature doesn't get the attention in QA. It doesn't get, you know, all the other love and care that a feature needs. And what will end up happening is it tends to be a source of breaks on, you know, on random occasions when it gets used or, you know, it becomes a security issue or just, you know, performance problems, those kind of things. And, you know, occasionally you'll get one that's just a pain where you know, you've got some small subset of the population that uses that feature and, you know, they only use it occasionally and then they contact your support staff and they can't get any help because your support people don't know either because, you know, they never deal with that problem. And so sometimes it's better just to kill the old features as bad as that, you know, as bad as that sounds. I mean, Windows has kind of has kind of done that uh, to some degree as well. I mean, they've you know, there's there's things that have actually died off. Um Maybe not nearly enough, but you know that. <laughs> and sometimes that that can cause uh, breaking changes that can be issues, and so that's jumping a little bit ahead. So well, and you want to well, I mean, the thing is, is this is you know it's a phased roll out, and then it's a phased roll in, right? So you want to start taking that feature back up when it's it's not really being used or it's not useful anymore for whatever reason, and you just kind of want to slowly back off of it instead of cutting it off and then you know ticking off your entire user mm -hmm. base that has happened yeah so some 
some tips for feature flags. Um, one thing is is to have a minimum presence of tests to ensure that a feature is properly hidden. Um, like if you've got features that are just for a particular plan or a particular uh, level of user, security role, or just you know toggled on and off, you want to make sure that flag stays working. In many cases, you want to have some kind of automated test because that's real easy to break, and you're not gonna. It's not something that it actually blows up. It just shows something it shouldn't. Yeah. And and that's a really good place for automated tests. That you know, if you're not going to put them anywhere else, this isn't a bad spot. Um, another thing is is you want you know in this you want to focus on the entry points. So like as you get into a particular workflow, like set that toggle flag. Um, as you go into the workflow, don't be checking it the whole way through. Right. So you set it somewhere like like in uh, you might stick it in the session or something along those lines and then check that value instead of doing you know checking the the flipped bit because what will happen is is if the user is progressing through a workflow and you flip that bit while they're doing it that's that's bad things can happen yeah i mean and really with this if creating and maintaining toggle points takes a significant amount of time you have too many toggle tests yeah i mean some of this can be you know features uh, you know for uh you know different different plan settings and that's you know kind of part of the app but if it's something that's not providing added business value for you to be having this then don't do it like start backing off of it you know get rid of some of those toggles uh this is especially true when you want to um you want to sunset certain toggle switches because they're always on. It's like get that crap out of the code. If it's if it's always true, don't evaluate whether it's true or false because it's always true. Well, it's also like uh, when you're creating the toggle points, you want to look at all right. We mentioned freemium accounts earlier. You know, let's say you have, um, you know, you have a service that is freemium. You've got free users, and you've got various levels of pay that they get different things. Well, set the toggle point at say login, and it toggles them and gives them access to whatever. And you don't have to check that with each individual feature. Yeah, I'm to some degree that's okay it depends on how long lived your sessions are because i mean if they can stay logged in for four days then you can't shut stuff off and that can kind of hurt but you know as far as like uh you know within a particular workflow so like if, if they're doing a unit of work the toggle flag should not change during that unit of work as a rule so like if they're going through a wizard to build something you know it should stay the same throughout that because you, you don't want the variability of, well, what if it changes in between step two and step three and it's 15 steps and you got to check each of those places? That's awful. So, you know, you want to, you know, constant value all the way through. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I hadn't, you know, when doing my research on this, I hadn't really thought about that. So, yeah, well, it's, it's one of those things where the guy that has touched the electric fence knows about the shock. Another thing you want to avoid too is is having a pile of different toggles that nobody knows how to use, you know, because you can have dead flags all over the place and you know all the checks for it. Because what ends up happening is is people stop checking, and so you write code where if this toggle does get flipped, 
it's you know the app is now in an inconsistent state because stuff that it's, it's expecting to be there isn't there because it's partially implemented. So you got to be real careful about making sure that they're implemented everywhere they're supposed to be and that that's a minimum number of places. So they, you know, the the size of a thing that's getting toggled, it shouldn't be across the entire app. It should be like two pages. Uh, Next, you want to make release toggles kind of your last option. It's best to break features down to introduce parts of it into the product. When you can, yes. Uh, Like I said, you don't want big toggles. But I would say that this is probably the best way to release a new feature. If If you're doing anything at any kind of scale... I mean, obviously, if you're not, then, you know, whatever. Because, um, I mean, if you've got two users and that's all you're ever going to have, you can hard code it. I can say if user equal equal beach. Now, that's kind of dumb and it's awful, but <laughs> it will work. Well, right. I mean, that's that's not a real good way to do things. It's I will say this for for the other junior developers out there. Um, when I first started learning, I wanted to to abstract as much stuff as I could. And what I learned uh, kind of the hard way, so to speak, is that I was trying to learn how to do something, and it was easier to not worry about the abstraction until after I'd figured out how to do what I was trying to do. So hard coding it in, in my learning process, and then going back and abstracting things out. Um, It worked better for me for learning. I do not think that would be healthy in a production code yeah so i mean i i like feature i like release feature flags um i like them a lot uh just because of what they offer as far as when things are starting to scale um or when you you know when you have a varied audience and you don't you know you don't want to get hit with all the problems all at once or have you know systems go down so i wouldn't i wouldn't say that they are your you know, your last choice. Uh, but, you know, they should be, you know, I guess they should be used with caution and they should be granular. Like they don't need to overlap and they don't need to be too big. Yeah, I think that's really, um, the that comes from the, uh, the Martin Fowler blog post that I read. And um, I may have not conveyed uh what he was saying as well as he did in the notes that I took on it. Um, but that's the general idea that I got from reading the post. So, yeah. And like I said, you know, you got to break it down, you know, to small parts. Testing is always an issue and you want to reduce the area that you have to test, but you do want to test. And so it's, it's that balancing act that you, you got to figure out where the, where the balance point is. Cause if it was like, for instance, if it was me and you developing a software product, it's just the two of us, we're both coders. So we're going to err towards the side of less support and, you know, slowly rolling stuff out. Whereas somebody that's, you know, got, you know, three or four support guys and one developer, they're going to err towards the side of not monopolizing that developer's time so it's an economic decision based on scarcity of resources that makes sense i um like everything else (laughs) i know a few weeks back i uh i talked about uh interviewing and uh in one of the interviews that i had had been in we had someone from qa there that her question was uh, have you ever worked on a project with qa 
and what do you know about it? And I had I was honest. I just said no, I haven't really. It's everything I've really worked on has been uh, with another developer. And yeah, I if I don't know something or don't know about something, saying that I'll get an explanation of what it is and respect for being honest about not knowing it. Um, and I think that that goes that only goes so far. I mean, if you don't know anything or know very little then yeah it's it's real easy to go from honest to quaint to cute to not credible yes yes and you know the the bottom three of those are pretty awful for job hiring prospects but anyway um you know the main thing with release toggles is they're they're short-lived like you only use them as long as you need them yes and the idea is to release with a minimal level of risk and you know to get rid of that risk once you know once it's served its purpose you know get it out of there um, and completely remove it like you know if you're going to use a feature toggle allocate the time to get rid of it once the thing is live like you don't want that thing in there six months from now causing some kind of random problem and I've been on projects that that you know actually uh, one place I worked that you know we used release flags all the time and a lot of them hung around for quite a while because we had per client settings and that's where they were stored which sounds you know great and all that until you realize that we have a wrapper that's generated around the database table where those things are stored and if something's in the table it has to have a property on that wrapper which means that to remove the feature flag we've actually got to write a script that goes and blows that away out of the out of the database and gets it gone completely and so stuff tended to stick around a little bit longer than needed and every so often you'd get these weird one-off errors because you know some flag got set wrong or you know something happened and or you know it wasn't cleared or or whatever and it didn't match you know their plan or and so get, you know getting rid of those as quickly as possible is is definitely is definitely a win now on the on the opposite side of that uh, we're getting into the next uh, next set here of dangers of feature flags is uh, accidental exposure to to features that are still in development yeah or admin features um, I've there's been some websites that have uh, you know they've done things where a regular user could log in and then they have admin control over the system because somebody forgot to put a check in there and they rolled something out. Of course, these get rolled back pretty quick because you know they start to realize that hey, there's somebody deleting accounts or you know, but you really don't want to be there. Um, and, you know, so that accidental exposure can be an issue. It can also be an issue, for instance, if you have a new feature and you want to release it and not have a big splash in the market before it hits and it's stable, like you're trying to get ahead of your competition. Because your competition, when you get to a certain size, they're going to have accounts on your system, you know, through, you know, friend of a friend type deal that, you know, tells them what's going on. Like that, that corporate espionage thing happens. And so you want to be, you want to be somewhat careful about that because you could accidentally expose what's effectively trade secrets. Yeah, and that's uh, that's something that happens across the board. Uh, I was asked uh, by um, the director of the preschool I used to work at in college to call one of the other preschools in town 
and uh, request a price quote just is basically kind of corporate espionage and i was like uh i don't know about this it didn't seem that unethical to do that because that's i mean price quote yeah the prices are open it'd be the same as going to their website um but i mean it you know that can be a that can be an issue it can also be an issue if you just accidentally expose it and a bunch of people click on it and it turns out that oh hey this thing's not stable you know that can burn you pretty quick um, another thing that happens is corrupted data. So you've got a new feature that's in development, and you have used a feature toggle to keep it from actually being used in production, but the code is out there. If you screw that up and somebody gets in there, you know if that feature doesn't work, it may put data into a bad state in the system. And that you know that's a legitimate risk. So you, you have to be somewhat conscientious. I mean, a good branching and merging strategy will keep this from being as much of a problem because you don't want the feature to really go in there with its feature toggle until it's baked well enough to actually, you know, try on a production server. Makes sense. Um, and finally, under uh, the dangers, uh, we have what you mentioned when I uh, first proposed this episode um, is feature flags do cause technical debt. And uh, we've mentioned it before with uh, making sure you completely remove your release toggles. Yeah, and this is actually one of the places where the term technical debt makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have I have significant issues with it because it's really a, um, it's almost a margin call most of the time when people are actually doing technical debt. Like debt is something where you take, you borrow money from the bank for growth. Like, I can't get a loan from the bank to go buy lottery tickets. I can't get a loan from the bank to, you know, stock my liquor cabinet. And the reason is, is because those things don't produce growth. The bank has no notion that you're going to make money off of that. Unless you're a bar. And and then, be, yeah. And be able to pay them back yeah, yeah. the loan. Right. And so most of what is called technical debt is actually not technical debt. It's gambling. It's taken out a loan to gamble, so it's you know it's an unsecured, you know it, it's it's a little bit more dangerous. It's like margin trading with borrowed money most of the time when there's technical debt. It's it's not debt, it's it's something else. This is debt because you're turning a feature on so that you can get a benefit from it, and that benefit is not you know just a quick, uh, you know quick little thing. It's actually a a survival and growth thing. So this this is the rare case where I'm like, yeah, this is this is actually technical debt, per what both of those words actually mean. Yeah. Um. So to review what we've covered this episode, uh, we started off talking about the difference between release versus uh, business toggles, um, and kind of where you would use each of those and. Uh, the different uses for each and how release toggles are short-lived, whereas business toggles are more long-lived and you want to design those differently. Um, then we got into um, enabling features for specific users and uh, also talked about rollouts, scalable rollouts, um, and is it roll-ins, roll-backs? Uh, roll-backs, I guess. You know, it's it's sunsetting. sunsetting I mean, yeah. however you want to call it. Yeah. 
Um, you know, we kind of covered uh, using feature flags for maintenance and sunsetting old features, um, rolling them back out. Uh, then we hit on some some tips and tricks uh, quickly to review those. Um, yeah, you want kind of a minimum presence of toggle tests, uh, kind of to help ensure that's that the feature is properly hidden. Um, definitely want to retire your toggles uh, once the feature has been fully added uh, for release toggles. We kind of talked about a little controversial issue on uh, whether or not a release toggle should be uh, at the forefront of your, your thought process and kind of how you're designing and building. And then uh, covered how they need to be, release toggles specifically need to be short-lived. And finally, we, we just finished covering uh, some of the dangers of feature flags, such as accidental exposure, corrupting data via new features that are in development, and uh, the technical debt uh, that, as Will pointed out, is actually the correct term to use here. That pretty much wraps it up for us. So before we close out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? I kind of want to somewhat shift the focus of Tricks of the Trade a little bit and offer a little short, opinionated mini rant, as it were. And so the one for this week is I... I want to point out a thought process that I think is maybe a little bit wrong, and maybe if you shift your focus a little bit on it, it'll make it, it will help you out. That's the idea that you have to have more than one reason to do something. So, for instance, if you go, okay, I, I want to do, I want to go to dinner at this place, right? Just you know, and this works for code too. Well, why? Well, because the tacos are good that's a reason to go. Whereas if you go, Oh, well, you know, the music's good and the tacos are good. And you know, my best friend's there and you know, the beer's free and da, 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 and you're starting to give all these reasons. A lot of times when you're coming up with multiple reasons to do things, it's not because there's multiple good reasons. It's because there isn't a good reason. Yeah. You know, th- this is just something I've kind of noticed in myself a lot is that when I'm doing things and, and coming up with this litany of reasons to do it, that I tend to be wrong a lot. Sometimes it's almost like you're trying to convince yourself of... That's exactly what it is. And, and so I just kind of want to throw that out there. That's, I don't know, that's kind of an experience thing maybe, or I don't know if it's a maturity thing or just a lack of self-trust, but it's, if you're coming up with a whole bunch of reasons to do something, sit back and think for a minute and make sure that you're not trying to come up with excuses to do it rather than a good solid reason because if the reason if one reason is good enough you know that is probably proof that it actually is you know solid you know barring it being you know stupid in some other sense so just just something I want to throw out there as a little opinion piece if you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.